It's an important and popular fact that things are not always what they seem. For instance, on the planet Earth, man had always assumed that he was the most intelligent species occupying the planet, instead of the third most intelligent. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a podcast where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. Uh, I am your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis, and joining me this week, I have Christina. Hello. Hello. And coming back is Don, a.k.a. Diddy. Howdy, folks. Howdy. Uh, So this is episode number 42. And in honor of episode number 42 and the ultimate answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything, we are talking about the 2005 rendition of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And Don, you had never seen this before. I I had not, uh, although I am a huge fan and have read the books and seen the TV show and all that stuff. Okay, so it's not like you were treading completely new ground. You just hadn't seen this version of it. I had not seen this version of it. Okay. And Christina, I know you had seen it before. I think we've talked about it before. Many, many times. Right. And I saw this uh, in the theater when it came out. Uh, same same thing. I'm a gigantic fan of it. Read the books. The uh, I have the old TV series, uh, BBC TV mm-hmm. series. Um, I've listened to all the audiobooks as well. Um, the newer, newer recordings of it. Stephen Fry did the first book, and then Martin Freeman does the next four. Um, so I love Hitchhiker's Guide. I quote it all the time. Uh, it's great. Um, this was the first real attempt at a theatrical release. Um, and interestingly, it came 24 or 25 years after the BBC TV series and about three or four years after Douglas Adams passed away. But he did write the script for it. So yep. um, now I knew uh, through research a few years ago even um, – that this didn't actually start as a book. So it started as the radio dramas. I think a lot of people don't know that, but it started as radio dramas, and then it became a book, which became a TV series, a video game, which was really just like an interactive story, and then finally this movie. And what I thought was interesting was every time Douglas Adams would work on a different incarnation of it, he would rewrite it a little bit. So each each one is just slightly different from the last one. And... um. This this is not my favorite version. Uh, I think my the books are probably my favorite version of the story, just because I, I you know I'm able to like like when you read a book I'm able to assign the voices and kind of what everything looks like in my own head. But I really enjoy this, um, and it you know it starts off with the cast uh, because these characters have been it's around a for hell quite of a while. Cast. It really is, um, and I always like to find you know actors that we've seen in previous movies for this podcast there's too many to name like half of them have been in previous movies that we've done because half of them had at least a part or a cameo in an edgar wright movie we've done a couple of his now um but man what a cast so arthur dent uh is played by martin freeman um nowadays he's pretty well known but this was earlier in his career i think I think the only thing he was really known for at this point would have been what probably Love Actually and The Office. Probably, 
Definitely love actually. Because I think the British um, the British office was just before that. Because that's where I remember this was this movie came out back when I was still um, really trolling the internet for uh, movie news. And I remember there was a website called Dark Horizons that I would always go to, and it had all the movie rumors. He basically would pull from from all sorts of different sources, and they started talking about this. This was when uh, Jay Roach was originally going to direct this. He dropped out or uh, backed out of directing, and I think he just went on to produce it. But they brought in, um, who's the director for it? Gareth Jennings, I think is his name. And they cast Martin Freeman, and they said from from the office, uh, UK's office. And I I had not seen that show. I didn't know much about him, um, but he was great. I, I liked him as Arthur. Mm-hmm. I, I thought he was really good. Man. He 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 played that part really well. He um, uh, I I think he captured that perfectly uh, from the book to the big screen for that one. Yeah, and what I like about I his. yeah, what I like about him is he he's very English, and that Arthur Dent is the one character that Douglas Adams has always said is the only character that absolutely has to be English is Arthur Dent. Yeah, um, there's only eight English actors. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and they're in they're all in this movie. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> you had uh, I mean, there's cameos from uh, or small roles from Bill Nighy, from Helen Mirren, from. Uh, who else? Um, there were some funny like extras castings too that uh, I found um, while researching this. So the woman that's in the pub with them um, when they when Arthur mm-hmm. and Ford go and sit down, she had played Trillion in uh, a stage version of Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh right, and, yeah, I read that there are a lot of cameos in this. Yeah, well, what was funny was she got cast in that role. You know, it's a, a small non-speaking role, but the director didn't even know that she had played Trillion. Um, until the day oh. they were filming. He found that out. Um, and the other one that I always thought was interesting is the woman that's sitting reading the newspaper when all the chaos starts to break loose, and she's just calmly sitting there reading the newspaper, is Douglas Adams' mother. And she yeah. wasn't uh-huh. she wasn't given any direction. They, like Gareth Jennings just said, you know, do whatever you would do in the situation, and so she just thought to sit and read the newspaper calmly. <laughs> so I loved that. Um, but yeah, no, Mar- Martin Freeman was great. Um, he and was very good. Boy, has he gone on to have quite the career. I yeah, mean, he's done all right for himself <laughs> since then. You know, Sherlock. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and I mean, even stuff like he read the, the four sequels uh, audiobooks, which are great. They're really great readings of it. Um, this was the first movie I had seen most deaf in. Um, I remember that. Uh and Tyler's in the chat room, and he says, Freeman is always great in everything, and you're correct. That That is very true. He is just great every time I see him. Um, so most deaf plays Ford Prefect. Uh, a bit of a departure from the TV series and the radio drama because he's, he doesn't have an English accent. Um, very different, but I loved him as Ford. I found I've only seen him in a couple movies, but I really liked him in them. Um, he doesn't do a ton with you know, he's not on screen nearly as much, I don't think, in this movie uh, as Ford was uh, in other renditions. He's in the book a lot more. He's more of a central character, but I really liked him in this. I, what did you think of uh, of him, Don, as uh, as Ford in this version? 
I I thought he did a good job with Ford. Um, I, I always thought more of Ford as a a more sophisticated, knowledgeable person, and I thought he came off like a little slightly dim-witted in this one. You know, like you know, like you not quite as buttoned up as he would have been in the books. Okay. I wonder if that is partially because he's American in this as opposed Possibly. to being English. Um, could be. Christina, what did you think of uh, of most deaf in this as Ford? I enjoyed it. I felt that it... it there, There is the not as sophisticated, um, but it seemed to be more of a play on pretending to be not as sophisticated. In other words, playing himself down as the... Yeah. I think one thing they did, and it was kind of smart, is they took... Because there were, there were changes made, um, little changes, like subtle ones, and they took certain subtle aspects of things that Ford would do and made them fit with most Def a little bit more. Like when he comes up with the cart full of beer at the beginning of the movie and uh, Arthur is laying down in front of the, the tractor. I love the scene in the book and in the, the old series and everything where Ford comes up with a super elaborate reason for why they can't bulldoze the house even though he's not there because his, the spirit of him being there and like the idea of him being there is enough and he sort of talks his way around it until the the guy that he's talking to is like yeah I guess that makes sense and then they leave and that's a very uh, kind of English way to go about that whereas in this one he's just like hey I brought beer here drink all of this and, and don't knock his house down um, but it fits it worked it worked for him quite a bit um, now I, I, just, I really enjoyed him he's got a lot of charisma uh, if you really want to see a good performance from him, um, the movie itself isn't great, but I loved him, and it's called 16 Blocks. Um, came out, I think, the next year with Bruce Willis, uh, directed by Richard Donner. And it's just about a, an aging alcoholic cop that has to take a, uh, a witness 16 blocks in New York City. And oh, I remember this. He is really good in it. Yeah, I do remember that. He has so, to protect them from... Yeah, from like some corrupt cops. From a corrupt cop, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I thought he just knocked a, knocked it out of the park doing that one. And this that was, you know, the year after I saw him in this. So I was I was prepared for him to be pretty good. Uh, but I just, I liked him a lot in this. Now, I think the guy that stole most of the scenes that he was in was Sam Rockwell. Because he got to be Sam Rockwell as Zaphod Beeblebrox. Because uh, what a fun character that would be to play. I mean, you can just go in so many different directions with it and have a lot of fun, and he definitely did. Kind of doing a little little bit of Elvis, a little bit of, I think I read somewhere, a little bit of George W. Bush. Um, and I I really, really enjoyed him in this movie. Um, I love the old British, uh, the, the BBC series, but I always felt like Zaphod a little too subdued in that. And in this one, he got to... He got to really be like manic and uh, just a lot of energy. Um, Christina, what did you think of Sam Rockwell in this? Uh, I he fit the role pretty well. Um, my only complaint was the way that they did the two heads, but hey. Yeah, I mean they they really did subdue that. That was probably the only thing I didn't like about Zaphod, um, just because that's so. It's mentioned a lot more in the book uh, how prominent it is. 
but Sam Rockwell was great. And what did you think, Don? Uh, I thought he was excellent. He was, he made the movie. I mean, you, it, the story is fantastic, but him in that character, he he nailed it. I wondered if they, I thought maybe they could find somebody that would have been a little crazier, but I don't know if those people were that, that uh, well-known then. Like, I don't know when Matt Smith came on. Oh, Matt Smith on the probably. Scene, but man, he would have been perfect for this. So. He Smith, would have. I think, was 2010. That's when he started as the doctor, and he was like the youngest actor to play the doctor at that point. So I think he might have been a little bit too young in in oh four oh five to yeah, to pull maybe. It off. You're right but, though; he could have been a very good because he's got that that same kind of energy, that just yeah, crazy yeah. energy that you can get. Um, yeah, like on the American side, somebody like um, uh, Ace Ventura. Oh, oh, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey well, in, in our he was going to be yeah, at he one was, time. He was up for it. Um, when Jay Roach was directing it, this would have been two thousand one. So this would have it would have been before Douglas Adams passed away. It was at that time rumored for Jim Carrey to be Zaphod and was it Hugh Laurie was going to be Arthur? Yep. Yeah. Uh and I don't remember so, who they said was gonna really play forward. <laughs> yeah. I mean those would have been great. Um but, but having said that, Sam Rockwell did an excellent job. He 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 sort of embodied the character completely. Yeah, he's one of the, he's another one of those people that's just great in everything he's in because he brings that energy and he's got a ton of charisma. I mean, he made the character of Justin Hammer in Iron Man Two worth it because that character mm-hmm. is pretty weak. But if it wasn't Sam Rockwell, it wouldn't work. It worked because it was him. Um, he did a great job uh, in man, every, just everything uh, I've ever seen him in. And you know what's funny is I I always remember him. And this is just a weird, like, six degrees of separation. I always remember him from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Believe it or not, like, I still to this day, that's what I see him, and I just, it reminds me of that scene in that movie. And he was probably, like, 17 when that when that got made or something. Yeah. The whole time watching this, I'm like, I know, oh, man, I forgot they were in this. I, oh, I forgot they were in this, too. And yeah. Then, oh, man. Um, you'd hear a voice, and you'd be like, I know that voice. Where do I know that from? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so we've talked about Martin Freeman. Stephen Fry is the voice of the book and the narrator. Brilliant, mm-hmm. yeah. brilliant choice. He was he was very good friends with Douglas Adams, so that fits. Um, and he, I mean, he's he's one of those voices you'll listen. I can listen to anything. Um, yep. Yeah. Zoe yeah, can narrate the encyclopedia, and it'd be fine. Exactly. Uh, Zoe Deschanel is Trillion. So. This was earlier in her career, um, but this one for me was, uh, I had a major crush on her when this movie came out. Like That was right in the time where, where I did that. So to have her in this movie was great. Um, but I thought she played Trillion really well. Um, a lot better. Nailed it. Yeah, she, she yeah. is my favorite version of Trillion to date. Um, I didn't, that was my, my only complaint ever about the BBC series was the woman that they had playing Trillian, the voice that she did was so grating and it was difficult to listen to. Um, and they, they kind of beefed her role up in this a little bit too. They really, they really focused things a little bit more on Arthur and Trillian um, in this and sort of their relationship uh, 
and so it gave it gave Trillian more agency um, in the script, which I did like, uh, and I think she was great. Um, yeah, it's a, the books sort of the books sort of focus on the craziness of of the ship and and it's running about the universe and the you know the quest they're doing and, and that kind of thing. But this one really. The movie definitely moved the focus more towards the um, the relationship and the love triangle between the three of them. Yeah, yeah, I definitely got that. Um, but she was she was great. Uh, but she was perfect. She she played that part perfectly. Um, some of the voices were uh, Richard Griffiths um, was one of the Vogons, and the other one was the other main Vogon was Ian McNeese. Um, mm-hmm. So those are those are voices that they're doing like a real gruff, gravelly kind of voiced character. So it's a little tougher to pick them out. Um, but uh, Alan Rickman as the voice of Marvin, you you couldn't cast that any better, in my opinion. <laughs> nope. he's, yeah. he's so nope. good at that at doing that. I don't know what it is about him. He is now. No one seeing this. So hearing his voice actually pulled me out of it a little bit because knowing him from so many other things now. But when this was done, it was, it was probably a, a really good pull, but hearing his voice sort of, yeah, I guess I, I expected can... him to say Mr. Potter in <laughs> second, you know, that's, was... that's true. Cause this would have come out after I think like the second Harry Potter movie um, was in theaters and he hadn't done, we hadn't, we, we didn't have the internet culture we have with as much accessibility to everything. So, yeah, I can see that. Um, when it came out, nothing, I definitely, definitely nothing loved it. about the way he played it or anything like that. Oh, just, right, just the voice. Yeah, well, no, and that's that's part of what I like about this show and the format of this show is we get we get that because I'm not going to think about that, right? I'm still like, I watched this movie. I'm taken back to 2005 when I went to the theater and I saw it. You're seeing it for the first time, so you're hearing the voice and you've got everything else built in. So, no, I. I can completely get that, but his deliveries are just so great. And this was another one where the the BBC series, the voice that they did for uh, Marvin was fine, Um, but there's just something holy like he was so much, he sounded so much more depressed in this. Um, And I love that. Uh, It just fit the character perfectly. Um, Eddie the Computer was voiced by Thomas Lennon, and uh, he originally auditioned for Ford Prefect. Um, Thomas Lennon, if you're not familiar with the name, uh, if you've ever seen Reno 911. I was going to say he was in Reno, right? Yep, he was yeah. uh, Lieutenant Dangle. Um, and he's he's brilliant. And I love I love the character of Eddie because he just... Nobody else likes him in the book. Like, in the story, they all hate him because he's just so cheery. And he played it perfectly. <laughs> I'm delighted to tell you. Yep. I'm delighted to tell you that there's two thermonuclear missiles coming right for us. I'm going to take evasive action. Uh, John Malkovich as Hama Kavula, uh, another connection to a previous movie, you know, along with um, uh, Bill Bailey and most of the British cast in this. But Malkovich, uh, small role um, as Hama Kavula, created solely for the movie. Um, it did not exist in the books prior to the t- prior to this. Doesn't do much for the plot. Other than, um, you know, it, the gun. 
Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, th- it does serve to get to that point. So that's that's sort of what he was in there for. But Malkovich is great as anything. And he's just being kind of hamming it up as John Malkovich. So I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. It, he, he's himself. So it's it's all good. And, and he had for that. Me, oh, go ahead. As I say, for me, it's the weakest point of the movie. That character? Like that little. little yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is. You're not wrong. Um, but. Not that it's bad. It's just to me, it was unnecessary. Well, it was, and part of that is you're so familiar with the story, and to take it in that direction, where because they're not trying to go there, they go there, and now they've got to go. Now they have the whole other thing where they go to Vogue Sphere, which that, however, because it set that up, I love that. Uh, we'll talk about that was so good. We'll talk about that part here in a minute, because um, that 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 part is wholly created for this movie, and God, it was so great. A um, couple other people. So we had talked about Ian McNeese, Helen Mirren uh, as the voice of Deep Thought, um, Bill Nighy. Uh, they had additional Vogon voices were all credited as the League of Gentlemen, um, and that was people like Steve Pemberton, uh, who was also the guy at the beginning of the movie that's telling him about the plans for the bypass, Mr. Prosser. And then Mark Gatiss um, was one of the League of Gentlemen, um, he, I most know him as a writer and producer for things like Sherlock, um, and he's written, I think, a couple Doctor Who episodes, too. Um, but yeah, just a, just a great cast of people, um, kind of top to bottom, just a, a ton of fun. Uh, everybody seemed to be having fun, it looked like, and uh, I love it. I love the cast of this movie. Um, I wish that it would have done better in the theater, in its theatrical run, so we could have gotten more more version more in you know in, in addition to this story continue the books yep yeah yeah bill bill nighy is one of my very favorite actors i i love him in just about anything he does and yes. i i sort of thought he 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 stole the show a little bit in this he was he wasn't in it very long he was really good though and it just yes no. really really great acting in it 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 was it was Sort of like uh, Alan Rickman's version of Marvin, he was kind of how I always pictured and heard Slarty Bartfast sound. Mm-hmm. Very kind of just unassuming and sort of almost put upon, like, in in his weird way, but he's so great. And, yes, he, he does kind of steal the last, like, ten minutes, every, every shot that he's in. Uh, little things, like the way he... Just the smirk on his face when he's like, oh, I don't think men had anything to do with it when they're doing the Of Mice and Men line. Yeah. And he just has that look, and then he's like, oh, mm-hmm. and, and wanders off. Like, I, that for me just, it kills it. And he has, what's the the other line where, uh, and I, I was going to capture it, but I, I just couldn't couldn't find where it was in the movie, and it was getting too late. But he says something about like, oh, you know, just say sod it and, and move on. And like, how's that working out for you? Oh, it's not. Like, that's just, that's oh, already right, yeah. fast. I, I loved him. Um and I love that that character. Uh, I did think it was funny that his name was meant to sound like a mildly or a vaguely offensive word. Um, when Douglas Adams yeah. was creating that character, he wrote, he basically wrote a name. I want to say it was like, like farty fuckbowls or something like that, like all spelled funny. And then he would just change each syllable until the censors let it through. So he would just do it just enough, and then the censors were finally like, okay, that one's fine. And it, and it ended on Slarty Bartfast. 
that was one of those like stories of the writing of this that just always cracked me up. Because um, that was back late seventies. I think the radio drama was seventy seven. Seventy. I was gonna say seventy five, six. Yeah, might have been seventy five. Um, so there were a lot more uh, stringent rules at the BBC back then. Um, but yeah, just a great cast, top to bottom. Love them, love them all. Um, and it's it's full of people that I'll watch in anything. Martin Freeman, Bill Nighy, uh, mm. are just you know even Helen Mirren. Like they're people that if I see their name, I want to see what they're doing. Um, yep. Yeah, you just see their name and you're like, oh, I'll check the movie out because it's got them in it. Yeah, Alan, Alan Rickman, John Malkovich, all of them. Uh, I didn't even mention Warwick, Warwick Davis. Davis was in, in in the costume as Marvin. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, and Bill Bailey, which I love that Bill Bailey has the first credit on IMDb because they did the, the credits <laughs> uh, in, in credits order. And Bill Bailey gets the first one. He was the whale. <laughs> so that always cracked me up. Um, but, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff that they changed from the books when they adapted to this. So the big one for me was going the, – there's the whole subplot of Trillian getting captured. Uh, well, first they go to whatever planet Hamakavula is on, and then Trillian gets captured, and then they have to go to Vogue Sphere. So that whole subplot is wholly formed for this. Now, again, I mentioned it earlier, but Douglas Adams wrote the script for this. So even though it came out a couple years later and there's another script writer, it's uh, Kerry Kirkpatrick, he basically has said that he took Douglas's script, his final draft, and they used like 90-plus percent of that. So it's basically a Douglas Adams script. So he, he was on board with all these changes to, to the book. Um, the stuff on Vogue Sphere is hilarious. Uh, the whole idea of like this planet full of bureaucratic creatures that basically are just good at running things and pressing buttons. And now you have a reason for it. They evolved because if you had any ideas, any thoughts, you got slapped in the face. And what a great gag yeah. that was. That was a really good gag. Which I think was also in one of the books. It might have been. I'm not positive on that. Not the same planet, but that same thing. It wouldn't surprise me if I it remember was. it. I remember it from reading it, not from the movie, because I remember it before I saw the movie. Well, it's entirely possible. I don't, but um, hmm. but it, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. But it definitely, uh, in this movie, just cracks me up every time I see it, because it it gets it. It's a joke that plays off every single time, um, except for one line, and it's when the one Vogon's like, "I think I'll have soup today." You would think you'd hear him getting slapped in the face, but, you know, and, and they use that to inform kind of the creature design because it was Jim Henson uh, Studios that did um, the Vogons. Uh, and I love how, the, like, all their faces are smashed uh, and their noses are flat and smashed upwards from ev evolution. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, but I, I enjoyed, that had uh, one of the Easter eggs in the movie, which was the um, TV series Marvin... Uh, Marvin Robot um, shows up in the in the line. Um, yep. I'm not sure if you caught that or not, Don. I know I remember catching that when I first saw it because I had I'd probably watched the series like six months before I went and saw this in the theater. And uh, he's only in a couple of shots in the background, but it's the original robot that they used, the prop. So it was still exi it still existed somewhere at the BBC. 
Um, but I love like how bureaucratic they are and how, you know, she's literally being lowered into the cage with the blood bug bladder beast. And they're like, this isn't the right form. You need to get the other form. And he's running back to fill that out. Uh, all that, all that stuff with the Vogons cracked me up. You know, they needed, what was it? The, um, request for hyperspace, uh, pursuit forms. That and the, the presidential, uh, pardon of a yeah. of a prisoner is it's a different form than the pardon of a prisoner form yep. and yeah this, i thought that was pretty good that was all funny stuff uh i do think that what they did on the previous planet the hamakavula stuff was probably the weakest of the movie but it set up for this and it set up for them going to uh find that point of view gun uh, which was another thing that was created for this movie so hamakavula the Vogue Sphere scenes, the point of view gun um, were created for the movie itself. Now, the point of view gun, uh, that's hilarious, too. And that gives some good um, some good bits, but it also is kind of an interesting uh, interesting plot device. And it had a funny um, guidebook kind of entry, which those we'll talk about in a minute because those were mm-hmm. uh, awesome. Um, but, yeah, it, it was nice because if I remember – Correctly, I don't remember what Ford, Zaphod, and Trillian are doing when, when, um, in the books when Arthur meets Slarty Bartfest because they get separated, don't they? Even then, or or was that done just for this? I I'm having trouble remembering now, but it was nice to give them kind of their own little subplot. It's been so long since I've read the books, I don't remember. That's fair. Didn't they come out of the whale? That's how I'm trying to remember the book, the scene in the book. Because that that scene was different. The whale was a missile. The the rocket turned into the whale, right? Yeah, yeah. The rocket turns into the in in the movie too. They turn the rockets turn into the whale and the bull. Oh right, one turns into a pot. Yeah. But I'm trying to remember when they when they get on land if they split up like they do in this or not, and I don't remember. But I did like if you're going to have them split up, it was nice to have them have a little. Uh, a little side plot and then show up at the end at Arthur's house on Earthmark 2. And that was another change. Like the Earthmark 2 stuff, I know, I remember in the books how, um, you know, Slarty Bartfast was so proud of his fjords and how, how much fun he had doing those that he got assigned a different spot uh, on Earthmark 2. I think it was somewhere in Africa, so he just put fjords there anyway because he liked them. Mm-hmm. Um, which was one of those jokes that I kept waiting for when I first saw it and it didn't, there was a few of those that like stuff that I remembered from the book that they never that they cut out for one reason or another. Yeah, mine was the towel. I missed that. I wish they they had the putting the towel over your eyes so that the beast didn't uh, see you. Yeah, yep. That was a a book entry that I wish they had done. Yeah, I do feel like if this was made today, either as a feature length film or probably more likely. Uh, a series on, you know, an Amazon or a Netflix if they were to do it. Because the the length of this movie does hurt it a little bit. It's a little short. Um, the pacing isn't bad. I think it moves along at a decent pace and it doesn't feel like it drags anywhere. But the things that they cut out, I just think flesh out the world um, and help it a little bit. Because this didn't do great in the theaters, in part because it kind of towed the line between... Um, being fully accessible to everybody um, 
versus like being too much for the hardcore fans, but then not being hardcore enough for those fans, especially at the time. Um, well, I was going to say when this came out, it was before the whole fantasy superhero explosion that we've had in the last, you know, 10 years. Mm -hmm. So, so they had, it, it was a little, it was probably more mainstream than, than what they would do today and get away with. Yeah. Yeah. This had a budget of around 50 million and it made 51 million in the U S and 104 worldwide. So that's not great. Um, it was almost as though people felt like American audiences felt it was too British and British audiences felt it was too American it was kind of the, the sense that I got, um, from reading I reviews when that. it came out. I still, yeah. I love the hell out of it, but I can get that. Like they could have swung it a little bit further in either direction. I mean, I had no problem with recasting and, and having, you know, most Def and Zoe Deschanel and, and Sam Rockwell in it. That was fine. But then some of the stuff that they cut, some of the, the book entries that, you know, the towel being a big one, they mentioned the towel only in passing. Like Ford's always got his and he tells Arthur he needs it, but that's it. Um, they shorten things like the Babelfish entry. Um, mm -hmm. You know, things like that, that they could have and would probably expand a lot more on if they did it today. Um, I think this would make for a great series. And I had heard rumor that there was going to be a Hitchhiker's Guide series coming sometime in the next year. But I haven't, that would heard, be nice. I haven't heard anything since. No, um, that was Hulu, right? I want to say it was Hulu. Yeah, but I would be all on board for that uh, because it, it's perfect for that. It's episodic in its, in its nature. You can really, um, I mean, just adapting the books alone, you could do a ton of episodes because they were long and they were very kind of, they had these little short bits in them uh, that would work perfectly for it with that overarching narrative. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I wish it would. Um, cause I, I just love these stories. Yeah. I can see them doing each book as a season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be fun. The, uh, the wonderful five book trilogy that is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, now, okay. So when they, um, there's a, there's a scene in this or not a scene, but the shot when they first go into space and then they have the book and the, the theme music plays. And that was the theme music from the radio show or from radio drama and the TV series, which yep. I remember in sitting in the theater being so geeked out because they played, you know, the TV series music. I did not know until two days ago that was not music written for the show. That was a song recorded by the Eagles. I had no idea. Really? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I got to find what it's called. I'm a big Eagles fan, and I I didn't know that. Uh, Journey of the Sorcerer. Yes. Journey of the Sorcerer. It wasn't written by the Eagles, but it was performed by them on one of their albums. And I had I had no clue until two days ago that that was even a thing. I just hmm. always thought it was the Hitchhiker's Guide music. Um, so that was interesting. I love that song, though. I mean, it, it works perfectly. Um and I was really glad that they worked it into this. The rest of the music's fine. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say about that because it was just music. 
Um, they didn't use a ton of licensed music. Uh, the the So Long and Thanks for All the Fish song that they play at the beginning, though, I do enjoy that quite a bit. That was a fun... Yes, it's a guilty pleasure. It is a, a, t- a really fun song. That actually made... It didn't make the shortlist for the Oscars that year, but it wasn't in consideration uh, at one point. Um, and, I mean, it's not really a Academy Award-worthy song, but I enjoy it. Um, it's a great way to open the movie, in my opinion. And it wasn't... I didn't expect it. I did not expect like a little musical number when it first played when I saw it in the theater. So that was kind of cool. Um, it's just the visuals of this, I think, are what did it for me. They did a great job of capturing, although I would have liked more of the um, infinite improbability stuff. They teased a little bit of that, mm-hmm. and the stuff that they did was a ton of fun with the sofas, with them being made out of yarn. Um, I just kind of wish they would have gone and done more of that. That's something else that I think in a series where you've got more time to kind of let things breathe, you would do. Um, because that, that stuff was a ton of fun. I, I love like transitions, like where he's about to throw up and you see him start to throw up like the yarn and then it cuts to like, that's what he's throwing up is just a bunch of yarn, but then he's normal human again. Yeah. That's actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie is, is him throwing up the yarn. There's that, or when they first get picked up by the ship and they're, they're two sofas sitting next to each other. <laughs> I'm a sofa. I know how you feel. Yeah, that that stuff cracked me up, and I, I just I wanted more of that. I wanted more of like the zany stuff, um, the Vogons and their the like the guns that they would carry were uh, like a cube with just a bunch of laser barrels out of the front of it, and they couldn't hit anything because it just shot in all sorts of different directions all the time. Um, <laughs> like all that kind of stuff was. It's just it's the kind of world that I think of when I think of the Hitchhiker's Guide, and I just want more of it. I think that's why I want a series. I just want more of that world. Um, it's great. Or yeah, I think the absurdity. It, yeah, I think if that movie was made today, it would be like maybe a a trilogy. Oh, definitely. And because you could tell that what we were saying about you know trying to make it more appealing to the mass audience, you could tell that the things they put in were to sort of play up the the rom com style a movie and try to play up that, you know, the, the love interest between, um, Arthur and, uh, and, um, Zoe, mm-hmm. sorry, name one way. Um, but I think if it were made today and they could, they could play it the way, uh, the books were written that, that it would be more true and, and it would be, they would make the movies a little bit longer. Because I, I think they had to cut out so much to do it. Yeah, they they really did. They they really cut a lot for pacing in this. I think the runtime one hundred nine minutes, so not yeah. even not even two hours. You'd easily make this a two hour movie. I mean, straight adapting the books. Obviously, when when they did that for the BBC, uh, it's like six episodes, and I think it covers the first book and a half, roughly. I mean. Not exactly, because they cut. They even cut stuff out of that. But you could certainly do a trilogy of movies um, and cover a lot of ground in a lot of the story. Um, and, you know, they teased. I mean, obviously they teased a sequel with talking about the restaurant at the end of the universe, right at the, the very tail end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at the other end of the universe. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
which, you know, that would have been uh, a fun fun area to go explore. So that's the kind of, like, I want to see that. I want to see that restaurant. I want to see kind of all this absurd stuff just because I spent so much time reading those books and listening to those audio books and, and just enjoying the, the world that they created um, and the, in my imagination. And I just want to see it uh, on the on screen. So I, I really want somebody to make this into a series. Because um, I think, it, especially in, in today's climate, it could do well. As long as it's done done well um yeah i mean well this... i think if you can get the flash and arrow to do well which they have you can you could get this to do well that's true well even stuff like good omens um you yeah. know good omens has done well american gods did really well like these are all properties that at one point or another weren't looked at as something that could really be put on film but now they're doing it and it works so look at the boys the, oh if yeah you did if you did Anybody that read those comics, if you'd have thought that would ever get married into a TV show, <laughs> uh, it would have been no way. And and uh, and now it's you know it, it's a huge hit from mm-hmm. Amazon. So yeah, I I this has somebody should do this one. It's a TV show. It's perfect. Yeah, and I don't care if it's Amazon, Netflix, Hulu. I, I don't care who it is. Let's let's start the campaign to get this to happen because there's definitely enough Douglas Adams fans out there alone that could make it worthwhile and it it opens it up and makes it more accessible for everybody else and what i like about it is because every time adams would adapt it he would change some things here and there it it gives all that stuff now you can say well here's the books and they kind of go and you know they they expand on a little bit more and hey there's also a a, you know radio drama that started it um kind of thing so there's a lot to it um i just i want to see it because I love these, I love these stories so much. The characters are great. Um, I don't, man. If we were making it today, who would you cast as Arthur? Ooh, because I know at one point mm. Douglas Adams wanted Hugh Grant to play Arthur, which I don't think I would have liked that. But that's just me. I'm not a big Hugh Grant fan. Uh, but man, who? I'm trying to think of who would who could play that every every man today you you could still have martin freeman do it but i think at this point he's a little older and i don't know although he doesn't look that much older so hmm christina you got any thoughts on who you think could be a a a current day arthur dent none that pop Mm. out of the top of my head i'd have to think about that one a little bit more uh, yeah, it it couldn't be somebody too famous. It would have to be. Yeah, no, nope, you're right. Could like you couldn't get Brad Pitt or somebody like that to do it. No, but you really want. I mean, a it's got to be an Englishman. Like you had Arthur's got to be English. I agree with Douglas Adams on that. Um, because it just plays into the story so much better that way. But he's got to be somebody somewhat unassuming. Um, you know, just the everyman. I know. One of the other rumored uh, cast castings for this movie was, and I can't remember his name now, but he played Commodore Norrington in the Pirates of the Caribbean films. He was at one point up for the role, mm. and they passed on him because they thought he was too good-looking to play the role, um, if that gives you an idea. But, I mean, yeah, it's hard to say. I do think you do it currently. I like Matt Smith. That's a great choice for Zaphod, though. Yeah, he he has 
he could if I'd written all over he could pull that off it's that energy he's got that that crazy energy uh that I think he could do really really well with um I'm trying to think of Ford you know who would be a fun Ford prefect he might be a little bit too old for it now I'm not sure although again he's one of those people that hasn't aged is um John Barrowman ah yeah Mm. I can see that he'd do that pretty well because he would have a blast, right? He'd have a little little Captain Jack Harkness in there, uh, and I think he could really pull that off. I'd love to see him play Ford. Uh, man, I'm having trouble thinking of somebody for uh, for um, Arthur though. I guess I'm I'm not uh, a casting director though. So, <laughs> but no. you're right. I I think I kind of like where your head is though. Is make it somebody that's a, a lot less known. Um. Kit, Somebody that could play the straight man. Kit Harrington. Uh, Shane, who are you thinking? Are you thinking for Arthur? Maybe. Um, just Dent. Dent Arthur Dent. That was another one of those great lines. You'll be late. What do you mean? Well, late is in as in the late Dent Arthur Dent. It's sort of a threat. <laughs> Uh, Kit Arrington, I, I don't, I don't hate that idea. Um, I'd have to think about that it's a little not bit more. Terrible, but I look. Let's just uh, let's start the letter writing campaign and make this happen. We'll just send it to all the studios, and somebody's got a bite. Um, but um, yeah. So okay. So now that you've seen it, Don, how does this rank for you? Where does this stack up in terms of? Uh, were you familiar at all with, have you seen the BBC series from back in like 1980? You... I saw the TV shows. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've seen the TV shows. I read, I listened to the broadcast from the radio. Got it. Okay. The, the broadcast from the radio are my favorite. They're, well, other than the book, the books were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I read them and when I was pretty young and, and just completely enamored with them. In all in all way, ways, shapes, and form, they're they're fantastic books. Um, I probably put this behind that and the um, the BBC broadcast. Okay. And in front of the TV show, the TV show was good, but again, it was a product of its time. Peel, yeah, trying to appeal too much to the masses. Well, and they, I mean, frankly, they just didn't have the budget or the ability. And not a very big budget, you know. It, cause Doctor it, Who's the only show that's ever pulled that off with the no budget and yeah, and, yep. And you would think like this this material lends itself to that. You would think and and it works. That's what makes it work at all is with that kind of a production value is the fact that it's Hitchhiker's Guide. But I would say if you're going to compare the two, like the movie just outshines it because of that. And that's saying something. I really loved Simon Jones as Arthur Dent. And he was, I mean, the character was written for him. Mm-hmm. Um, which, that was one we forgot to mention. That was a nice little cameo he had in this. As the disembodied head at Magrathia. Um, <laughs> and and that always, uh, that tickled me when I saw it. I was like, that's Simon Jones. And, you know, who else is going to know that unless you've seen the BBC series or li- listened to the audio stuff. Um so, okay, so you slot it behind the books, behind the radio broadcast. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, I would I would go with that. Christina, where do you put this kind of in your your order of like different versions of it? I mean, book is always going to be number one, um, but this would come in, I think, right after it. I enjoyed this more than I did the others, but it's different for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, uh, this is a solid like two or three. Same same kind of re- realm. Uh, the books, again, I sort of touched on it early, but like you get to create it all in your head, and it's it's such vivid imagery written by Douglas Adams um, that. That helps. Now, when I go back and reread the books now, because I have the the series and I have this movie and that kind of stuff in my head, uh, it skews a little bit. Um, but I definitely uh, love the books, and I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, it's not perfect. I do wish that they had kind of expanded on a few things. I just wish they would have like that. And that's all it needed. It just needed to kind of expand on a few of the things and it would have made a lot more sense. Like you put the the book entry and I think they may have even recorded one. I'm not sure about towels. Then it makes a heck of a lot more sense to somebody who isn't familiar with the books. Why Ford is running around waving a towel like a madman, right? It's funny. (laughs) Right. It's it's great that he's just screeching and throwing a towel towards people. But you know, why, why does he do that? Well, the Hitchhiker's Guide will tell you, you always know where your towel is. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they hint at it, and you see him doing a lot of things with a towel yeah. and stuff like that. But, yeah, I agree. I wish that there was more uh, entries from the, the, the guide. Now, I did love – I loved all the entries from the guide, though. Uh, such a great mm-hmm. kind of animation style. And, obviously, they all had Stephen Fry narrating them. Um, but that animation style was so uh, so much fun. I did read in some trivia that the animators were kept trying to sneak in dirty jokes and then they would, they would tell him like, no, you can't do that. You can't. The only one that got through was the thing with the cow. The cow. Yeah. Which the cow, which makes me laugh every time. Just the fact that the guy runs off and it cuts to like him with his hands under boiling water. Uh, but yeah, the, the stuff with the guy, did you catch um, the mid credits one, Don? No. So there's a little, uh, another guidebook entry in like the oh, middle. Oh, yes, I did. Okay. I did say it. Yeah. Yeah. In the middle part of the credits. Mm-hmm. That's that, that kind of stuff. Like, I just want more of that. You know, that's that world building. That's Agreed. the kind of stuff. And, you know, there were other things that got cut. I mean, they have the, uh, the Vogon guard that captures them initially. And they, he got to say his line, like, resistance is useless. But that was like a whole thing in the, in the books that goes on a lot more. And that's the kind of stuff that got cut that I just wish could have been in there. Cause that bit's funny. Yeah. It's very funny. The act of flying is just throwing yourself at the ground and missing. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, even there are some great visual gags in this. Uh, I love the creature work. The, the Vogons to me, the Vogons in this were like spot on. Um, and again, you've got Jim Henson's creature shop. And you've got a budget, so I just I feel like it could have it could have been a little bit more. This is a solid B plus, but it could have been just that touch more. Uh, but overall, overall, a really really good movie. Uh, I did capture a couple of lines um, just because th- this movie. I this is another one of those that I could have captured just about everything in it uh, and made a, a sound clip out of it. But 
I had to get, because I always quote this, um, this line. It's one of my favorite lines from the book. Time is an illusion. Lunchtime, doubly so. And <laughs> I, I say that probably twice a week, to be, if I'm completely honest. Um, I did get Eddie, the shipboard computer, uh, just because he just, Thomas Lennon's version, he just cracked me up. If you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and take a base of action. Yeah. That's one of my favorite lines. Yep. Um, they're, they're falling all over the place. Yeah. Nobody can do anything. Uh, if you don't mind, <laughs> um, I'm going to avoid the missiles here. Uh, this was a good Zaphod line. If there's anything more important than my ego on this ship, I want to cut and shut right now. <laughs> hey, come on. Like, And that's... Basically, that one line encapsulates his entire character in this movie, but I loved it. Uh-huh. Oh, the thinking cap was something that they created uh, for the movie, too. And that, that did crack me up, where they would juice half a lemon and it would like, mm-hmm. focus his brain. Um, I did get Simon Jones. Uh, this is something... This is incredibly uh, British. To ensure ongoing quality of service, your death may be monitored for training purposes. <laughs> That one always got me. Uh, I, I got you some Bill Nighy. Uh, there it is. No, that's perfectly normal paranoia. Everyone in the universe gets that. <laughs> he was so... I just loved him in that. Um, Marvin. There, just basically anything that Marvin says in this movie is like a quote. Uh, but this is my favorite. Oh, yeah. This is probably my favorite one. I won't enjoy it. And now I have that, and I can use that whenever I feel like uh, and then this was, I think, the moment for me when I first saw it that made me like most deaf playing Ford Prefect. And it was the way he delivered when he's talking about how they met. And he, he was trying to – I do wish that – there was one, another one of those things that they could have expounded on a little bit more, but him trying to shake hands with the car and just his delivery of this line. Do you think it was a bit strange he was trying to shake hands with the car? Shake hands with a car. I don't know why. Yeah. That always got me. Those, those cutaways were a little jarring in this movie. It, it was yeah, uh, like a line of saying, don't you remember how we met? Lead into it. Could have, you know, helped those a bit. But there were like two or three times. I'm like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> they got you. Um, wait, like, where oh, are we yeah. now? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, there there was a little bit of that. Um, I did think the stuff like ending the movie where they did um, with everything on Earth Mark Two. I don't know. Like I say, give me more. Just just go a little bit further. It needs like that little bit extra, but to to push it over the edge of the. It was a solid B plus in my mind. Um, but now that you've seen it, uh, Don, you can say that you've seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and and it sounds like you enjoyed it. So that's good. I I enjoyed it thoroughly, but. I was all in on Hitchhikers anyways. <laughs> well, we're two for two. two we found yeah. two movies you we hadn't are, seen. Yes. Uh, but we were, they're kind of softballs for you. Cause we, this we're... one's unusual, too, because cause I love Hitchhikers. I just, I, you know, it's been on TV. I've seen bits and pieces here and there, but I've never actually sat down and watched the whole thing. Well, and it was streaming on Netflix for a long time. And then, of course, when I decide I want to do it for the show, I go to look and it's not there. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> It happens. It's the that's the film sack effect. We'll call it. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, let me uh, take a minute and talk about the uh, video game, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, go for it. So the very first video game that I ever played was called Adventure, and mm-hmm. it was on a Vax. Okay, yeah. Um, and it was a text-based thing, and it's it's actually where Zork came from. Yes. Zork was derived from from the Vax program, Adventure. Um, I absolutely loved the Hitchhiker's Guide video game. That text adventure was one of the best games ever written. And the the interpreter that they did for command, the command interpreter in that game was exceptional. It was really, really good. Um, especially after having played, you know, Adventure in Zork, where you had to put in the exact command oh, right. to make it work. The one in the one in um Hitchhiker's Guide was was really, really good and you could approximate what you needed to do, like put the towel over my eye or ra- did the same thing as wrap the how- towel around my head. Okay. You know? That's one so, I never played. I played Adventure and I played uh I want to say like the first three or four Zork. Um, I had a pack that had like six of them or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I love those. So, but I never did play the Hitchhiker's Guide one. So I might have to seek out a way to play that. I don't know how I would do it modern. I guess maybe DOSBox or something along those lines. Oh, I'm sure that yeah, I'm sure it's around somewhere in some emulator. Because those those text based adventure games are so much fun, and it I just never got around to playing that one. Um, but that's cool that they did such a good job with the interpreter. Cause that yeah, was one yeah. thing that would drive you crazy. If you didn't type it in exactly right, it didn't work. You get the huge sheet of graph paper with the map on it. Oh drawn yeah. Out on it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this goes there and East West. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. You weren't playing a video game. You're doing homework. Yep. D and D on the computer. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, well, um, you know, I think, I think that's probably going to be a show. Uh, I want to thank both of you guys for joining uh, this week. Um, Don, what have you got going on? I know we were talking a little bit before show. You've got, um, you've got a show coming up this week, right? Uh, yeah, tomorrow evening we'll be recording live over at um, Joystick and Mouse. Um, other than that, you can find me at Diddy Does Games all over the place. Yeah, and uh, I know I've mentioned it before, but Joystick and Mouse is a great, uh, it's a fun show. Um, video game news and reviews. Uh, it's definitely cool to check out Monday nights. Um, they they stream live. I listen, I usually listen to the podcast every week and try to catch the live stream. So, uh, And we've had Alex on. He's also part of it. Yeah. So Alex is in the chat room right now. Um, yes, beers, beers all around. Beers uh, all around. So yeah, if you it's get a t- lot of fun. We have a good time, and and there's a lot of uh, comic book and nerdy, geeky tangents that happen all the time. So, uh, oh yeah, come on over, check it out, and hang out with us. Yeah, and and thanks for uh, coming back on the show. It's fun having you. It's always an oh, open no, invitation. It. Enjoyed it anytime, man. Next next time we'll have you on for a movie you have seen before, so you don't have to be the one under the spotlight. That's fine. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um. And Christina, I want to thank you for being on this week as well. Always. So long and thanks for the fish. (laughs) 
Uh, we record every Sunday night, uh, usually at 8 o'clock. We went a little bit early this week um, because I've got a thing right after this. Actually, Don and I both do uh, that we're going to go jump on from America's Next Top Podcaster. So, um, But uh, typically, uh, Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, um, we record live at twitch.tv forward slash TV's Travis. Uh, the show comes out Wednesdays. You can find that at tvstravis.com uh, forward slash subscribe or any of your podcatchers. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're in Google Podcasts. It's hard to find because I gave the show a terrible name. So if you do find it and you do subscribe, uh, if you go in and give us a review, um, that helps us more than I can uh, explain. Um, it's really, really good. Alex says, find a movie I haven't seen and Don can give me a hard time. Well, you did just mention that you hadn't seen this movie, and I'm sure we can find another one. We did that with Die Hard, though. We gave you a hard time with Die Hard, Alex. So we'll, mm. do, we'll do that again. Don't worry. Um, but, yeah, if you can give us a review uh, of this show, if you listen to it, um, that would it helps more than you know. So uh, really, really appreciate that. But, yep, we uh, once a week. Um, coming up, I've got some kind of award-winning uh, movies. We're, in, we're into awards season, and I was going to start that this week, but I couldn't pass up doing Hitchhiker's Guide for episode number 42. So... Uh, and it was it, by a stroke of luck Don hadn't seen it yet so it worked out perfectly um, but starting next week we're going to be doing some award winning movies and I don't have my notes in front of me but I know uh, stuff like Training Day or LA Confidential um, stuff that won Oscars basically leading up to the Oscars I just think a kind of a fun little tie in um, and then I, I'm not sure yet if I'm going to do something around the Oscars or not I actually haven't watched them in probably four or five years so I don't know. I know our local theater does like an Oscar watch party. Um, and I'm, I almost want to go to that, but that would mean I'd have to record early. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what goes on with that. But um, anyway, thank you both uh, for being on the show this week. It's tons of fun as always. And uh, coming up, like I say, we've got, um, I know soon is training day and i've got a special guest for training day that uh is going to be on so um but i don't want to give that away yet we'll let that be a surprise uh but until our next episode get out and enjoy your movies this has been wait you haven't seen Yeah. <laughs>